Hi there, Gary Turner, the host of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast here. If you're joining this podcast today, thank you so much. Uh, I'm looking to repurpose some of the Have Courage conversations from an online summit um, that I offered for free earlier in 2019. And I was really grateful to be joined by 23 amazing human beings that share their time to help serve you, to serve others out of their own way and to step into a life of more courage. And this first um, guest, or the first guest I want to share with you, is Paul McGregor. Paul is a passionate mental health advocate. Having sadly lost his father to suicide a number of years ago, he campaigns to raise awareness around the fact that someone seemingly okay on the outside may actually not be on the inside. And three of the key takeaways from this conversation, uh, in the hope that they serve you, the things that I took away, were that vulnerability is actually a strength, that we need to look past materialism, and be clear on what your definition of happiness is for you. So enjoy the conversation. You can find the Have Courage um, ebook completely for free online, and you'll also be able to find that within the show notes as well. So here is Paul McGregor and myself in conversation as part of the Have Courage Summit. Welcome to the Have Courage Summit, a summit dedicated to helping you get out of your own way and to help unleash that potential that sits within you. So this evening, I'm so grateful to welcome Paul McGregor onto the summit. Good evening, Paul. Good evening, how are you? I'm very well, sir. How are you? Good, good, good. Right. I'm coming up with, I've just coming out of the back of a bit of man flu. So <laughs> the voice might go a bit croaky sometimes, but that's the man flu. <laughs> well, we know it's a very, a very lethal strain that we all suffer with. <laughs> from time to time. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so as we get going, so for those that are maybe seeing you or seeing us for the first time, so you're founder of My Mind Media. You've also written your own book, Man Up, Man Down, I believe. Yeah, that's good. Good research, good research, of course. Perfect. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's kind of, um, yeah, so my mind is, is a series of things that I'm trying to incorporate into the mental health awareness, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. And um, yeah, the book came out in the end of last year, which was October. Right. Has it been received so far? What sort of feedback are you getting? Really well, really well. So for the book for me, again, it would talk about it, but there's no expectations with it. It was, I was approached by a publisher that's a mental health publisher. Um, they only publish stories of, you know, people that want to raise awareness of mental health. Um, and yeah, it was a real no brainer for me. They made it effortless. They helped with the process and it was kind of just trying to get the whole story that I tend to just go over in a 10 minute spiel either on a public speaking gig or on an interview like this into something a little bit more detailed so um it was nice to kind of get the full story out there as, as much as i could well do you know something as, as we get going on this um this discussion paul do you mind maybe just give me a bit more of an extended background i've introduced you briefly but maybe just give a bit more context as to who you are yeah, of course so um this this is the 10 minute spiel that i normally give on every interview um i know i always say my life was quite carefree up until about 18 so i grew up in in essex in the uk and um was quite academic at school had good friends um played football like nearly every minute of the day however much i could play it mum and dad were sort of together as you know they were childhood sweethearts all of the sort of norms that you'd look from the outside in and think oh it's just a normal upbringing. Um, and it really was. And I was very lucky for that. But um, I was very insecure when I was younger. Um, wasn't very confident, had low self-esteem, which I inherited from my mum and dad. They were people pleasers, didn't really have a lot of self-esteem themselves. Um, but the turning point for me was when I was 18. And my dad, who was 
on paper, you know, he had a, a great life. He had no reason to be unhappy. He was a full-time engineer, lots of friends, a good athlete. He was a really good runner. Um, had a, the only way I describe it is a breakdown. So just one evening, his whole behaviors changed. Everything changed. His eyes seemed very distant. And he sort of seeked help uh, a day or two after from the doctors, got put on antidepressants. And um, a couple of days after, lots of behavior changes again. Went back to the doctors, got more antidepressants. And we just didn't know how to deal with it. We weren't educated on how to deal with it. We thought it was just a blip and dad would kind of honestly snap out of it. And um, a couple of days after that, he attempted suicide for the first time. And was very lucky to to not die on on that instance and um sort of left the hospital about a month after from his physical injuries and sort of that was the nightmare over i always explain it as that the nightmare was over dad was back home he blamed it on the medication we didn't you know we believed him and it progressively got worse and he, he ended up sectioning himself and spending some time in a mental health unit came out of the mental health unit again, seemed better, progressively got worse. And yeah, the 4th of March, 2009 was, was the pivotal moment where he was released from the mental health unit over, you know, he was there for the weekend, came out on the Tuesday. Um, I saw him Tuesday night. He wasn't right. I just didn't know how to react or deal with it anymore. Um, and then, yeah, that, you know, he took his life the next day. So I never saw him after that moment. And that for me was the pivotal point. And my life kind of just changed then, there and then. It was a real traumatic experience, but I just dealt with it like we were kind of chatting before. Um, most men would. You know, I went night to a nightclub sort of six days after and sort of, you know, put on that brave face and pretended everything was all right and got on with life. But inside, it was quite, it was painful. You know, it was hard to, hard to deal with. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's now been nearly 10 years. And for the last sort of two years, I've been a lot more vocal about it. Um, you know, more on, like you say, a, a global scale, like a more of a, let's get it out there to as many people as possible. But it, it took me sort of two, three years for me to even talk to one person about it. Um, and I think that's the thing with mental health that we both can really relate to, that you feel so alone. You feel like you can't, you can't talk. But yeah, that's, that's kind of the long story of it. And it's, it's, it's always... Um, there's so much more to it, um, but yeah. Well, I thank you for, for you know, vulnerably sharing so openly. You know, I can only empathise, um, but I think it's really brave. You know that you are sharing. We're talking on this summit about courage. Just out of interest, if you don't mind, just some elements of it. What was it that sort of took you the last couple of years to go? Actually, now's my time. What was it was that you were processing, or maybe what were you sort of striving towards that that gave you that sort of know that ability to step into that courage it's a really good question um well one of the things that i did once when dad died is um my dad was a really hard worker and he was very he had that old school mentality that i'm going to work hard i'm going to save money um i'm going to be my granddad he's like he's still alive he's 93 he's tight as anything you know he <laughs> he just doesn't spend money um so my dad had that mentality as well i'm not going to spend any money um, my dad aimed to retire at 50 and he took his life at 45. So um, I, I've always been quite business minded and I used to sell stuff on eBay when I was like 15. And um, a couple of months after dad died, I remember I used to, it was a 50 minute commute 
in the car to work and it was just like a basic job I was going to work up the corporate ladder and I remember I just used to cry backwards and forwards backwards and forwards um and I'd get to work sit on my desk smile brave face let's make jokes get in the car and cry and that was all I was doing and then I just sort of thought to myself you know I'm doing exactly what dad did um so I started the business when I was 19 and coming to that question I literally was just running the business for the wrong reasons. It was all about money. It was all about, I'm going to make dad proud if I am successful with money. And it was never highly successful, but every piece of success that I got to never seemed enough. Like it was never enough. There was always, right now, what's next? What's next? And I was never fully happy with it. Um, and one of the big things that happened a couple of years ago is I was at a, a workshop with a mentor that I used to use, I used to work with and he did a meditation. I, I do meditation sometimes, but this was like a 50 minute meditation. <laughs> um, and I just had this, it's a weird experience, but I just had this thought of, I want to help people that was in my dad's situation. Like I couldn't help my dad. Um, I was uneducated of it. Now I have more understanding because I've been there. I've dealt with my own um, depression, my own problems. Um, I want to try and help people. I didn't know how that looked at that time. Um, but it all started with a blog post three years ago, which then led to um, me not doing much more because I still had a lot of fear around it until like the last year, just sharing more and more. And the meditation was one thing, this huge like pulling of, I need to do this. The second thing that helped a lot was actually just um, becoming a, a dad. So becoming a dad was a real eye opener to me of, of not worrying what people think, just being okay with vulnerability, um, understanding that suicide is the biggest killer of young people. So the biggest threat to my kids' lives is their own mental health, their own minds themselves. And losing my dad was hard enough to suicide. But when I speak to parents that have lost their kids to suicide, it's like I need to do something that can maybe help them and help others. Um, and there was also one that says three pivotal moments. Um, my brother, my brother had a freak accident at work um, just over 18 months ago where literally I went from getting married. My brother was my best man. We got married in Italy. Um, we got back on a Saturday. He went to work on the Tuesday and just some 15 kilograms still fell from a hoist, um, landed on his head fractured his skull and he um yeah he's very lucky to be alive and he was in hospital for a year he's recently now out my mum's like his full-time carer he's only 40 sorry he's only 30 and he um has lost all physical movement and he has to build it all back up again um that was a big game changer for me because i was just like you know it's cliche to say that things can happen like that mm -hmm. And I have to do something that I want to do rather than do something that's going to please others or make me look good. Um, so yeah, that, those were the three things. Yeah, so thanks so much for sharing again. I just, I just, I, you know, it resonates with me so much personally, Paul, because, you know, we were speaking before we came on to record this, this chat, you know, the outside world would have looked at me the last sort of decade going up, oh, nice car, nice house. He's doing well in his job. And, you know, we've been built up, brought up, absolutely on this capitalist model of money math makes more difference than anything else in the world. And I was literally hollow, literally hollow from the inside going, what is this feeling? You know, how, how can I feel so empty when I've got everything material that anyone could ever want? And I really hope people hear what we're both talking about. We're talking about it from quite different angles, but I think we're both talking about the same yeah. thing. 
Can I ask you a question just quickly? Please, when, please, when, please. Do you think that, do you think because you was questioning yourself, it made it worse? So it was like, what's wrong with me? I've got everything that people want, but I'm still not happy. It's a really good question, actually, Paul. I, I think for me, I don't think it necessarily made me worse, if, if I'm honest. I think I was more confused because it's not a feeling that I was used to. Because you sort of aspire to, you think that any gap you have, whether it's your low self-worth, which I used to have, whether it's fear, you know, when you said a shed load of fears, we all have them still. But, you know, I was very, very low self-esteem, low self-worth for a long time. And I think that was probably more my issue, was that yeah. it actually, okay, so, so I, I thought that material items would make me feel better about myself. And I think yeah. that's the big thing, is that we project out how we're feeling, and it's not the outside world, can't make us feel better inside. And that was my massive learning only the last couple of years at the age of 40 was actually, you know, we have to feel good inside out. Otherwise, it does, nothing matters. Yeah, that's a great point. Is that, does that resonate with you? Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, you know, it's, we've, we've literally, again, I wrote about it in the book and I never achieved like levels of success that I ever wanted to in terms of money. Like I'm not one to say, oh, I was making loads of money. I wasn't, but um, I was living a, I was, from the outside in, like you said, I had like a house that I was renting and I had a car that I was renting. I had, um, you know, nice clothes. I was in the fashion industry. It was all very glamorous and everyone was like, Oh, you're doing so well. But one, the bank balance didn't reflect it because I was spending more than I was actually making. And two, I just wasn't feeling it, you know? Yeah. And, um, one of the things that, you know, again, this is all about courage. One of the things I did is I, I got married in Italy, had a really nice wedding. Um, my brother's accident happened. And I remember, again, sitting in this, you know, rented home that I had and I had, you know, my son, Teddy, I've got a stepson, Freddie, I've now got a wife and sitting there thinking I've got nothing, like absolutely nothing from the outside in. It looks like I've got a lot, but I have nothing. I've got no life insurance. I've got no income protection. I've got a house that Amy would never be able to afford if anything happens to me. Um, and the biggest dent to my ego that I could ever have took had to happen and I turned around to Amy and I said look I can't afford this um we need to move and we moved in with her parents for a year um and how much strain that puts on a newly married couple how much um you know now my friends are like you've gone from this big house to moving in with your in-laws like what's happened is the business not doing very well but it's looking at it now we've now got a house that we own and it's only a small house we're very minimal the best thing I've ever done because it really took away all of that. I need these items of clothing. I need this car. I need this house. Um, not saying that everyone should move in with their in-laws, but I just think it's like you say, it's, <laughs> if you can be happy living with your in-laws with, you know, hardly any money, then you can be happy with, with that stuff as well. I think it's such a lovely reflection. I just want to put it out there as well. When I talk about sort of, Nice car, nice house. I'm not talking about a three million pound mansion. That'd be really, really nice. It was a four million, wasn't it? You told me it was a four million. <laughs> I think it's twenty, actually, Paul. But, <laughs> but talking from a genuinely a modest point of view, you know, just the point of the view that, like, again, I think you touched on a really important point. You know, how many of us that are listening to you and I speaking now? How many people are actually striving for the next job title, striving to be seen to be something that actually, mm. in the end, they probably don't even want to be inside? But it's just society. Tells them yeah. that it would be. And I think about, for, for me, courage is also about just trying to be who you are and being yeah. okay with that. What, what, what do you think to that? Yeah, no, uh, it's, again, it comes down to, like you said, it's this whole force 
I call it a false reality of happiness. Like we're taught from a young age, especially when we're at school, you know, you have to be academically intelligent to be happy, which we all know once you leave school is bullshit. Like it's not, it's not, you know, a grade on a piece of paper is not going to make us happy. Like university and the degree we get in university isn't going to make us happy, but that's what we're told. And um, you hear of, of celebrity suicides all the time. And again, I think that's such a big reflection of the one that got me. And this is a strange one is Avicii. I don't know if you know the DJ. It's like, yeah, I'm big into my dance music. So yes, that was a big shock. That was a huge shock to me because one, he's a similar age to me now. And um, like growing up, like that's, that's the dream. Like if I could be a DJ and go to nightclubs and, you know, get paid six figures to just, you know, play music that I like. And, you know, that's, that's the life that would be amazing. And there, there he is just completely unhappy in that life. And it just, like you say, goes to show that, you know, happiness is something that we all need to define rather than be told what makes us happy. Well, what are some of those steps from you, maybe your personal journey, or maybe some of the work that you do with other people, Paul? What are some of the steps for someone that might be listening to us now going, I really want to be living that life more authentically, a bit truer to myself. I'm so afraid to do it because of circumstance. Yeah. You know, maybe they come from um, a, you know, a religious background. They're not able to do that. Are there any sort of tips or tricks or ideas that you've experienced or shared that help people do that? Yeah, I think from me, I think the one thing that held me back for so long, even after dad's death um, and suicide has such a stigma around it. Um, and I've shared openly about the fact that I used to lie about it because I didn't want um, one. I didn't want to talk about it Two, um, I didn't want people to judge my dad. My dad was an amazing man. My dad wasn't someone, you know, suicide still is thought of as a selfish act. Um, mm. So I never wanted people. And also there's a huge judgment. If you're in a mental health unit, then there's this huge perception of who that person is as an individual. And my dad wasn't that person. So I would always be very um, cautious of telling people, you know, how my dad died. Um, and then, you know, starting the business and come into all of that, everything came back to this one thing. And that was the fact that I always wanted to please others. I was always fearful of judgment from other people. So everything that I had in my life was all because I wanted people to, judge me in a positive way um i wanted to please other people around me and i think a lot of people's issues from not wanting to take these steps is because of fear of, of judgment um and the biggest weight that's ever been lifted off my shoulders and i had a massive ego like a big big ego um <laughs> i'm from essex you know we've all got big egos it was just <laughs> it was literally just to not worry what people think and it's the hardest thing that anyone can do and i still battle with it today but the less you can worry about what people think of you. I think the more free you feel and the better the decisions you make because you make decisions based on what's going to make you happy rather than what's going to make other people happy. I love, can you I love, relate to that? Yeah, 100% relate to that. And do you know something? It really resonates with me personally because we started actually a Twitter chat quite recently called Self Care Weekly, yeah. which is a chat to try and just for anybody to come and observe or listen, just to try and let people think about self care. I think back to your point, you spoke about selfish, it being a selfish act to look after ourselves first. And I love this analogy, Paul, of the oxygen mask on an airplane. You know, mm. We can't serve our families, our friends, our relationships, even our work organizations the best if we're not okay first. Yeah. We just can't do it. And I just, I just don't think people are getting that yet. That it's not no, so. And it's, it's, it's the same with parenting. Like when, when I became a parent, everyone's like, oh, you know, put your kids first. Like I would, I would do anything for my kids, but I need to put myself first. And again, it's such a 
people see that from an outside in there. You're selfish. You're not a very good parent, but you know, if, if I'm not putting myself first, I'm not a very good parent because I'm not happy. And someone said, um, I'm going to butcher the quote. But it was something like teach your children by what you do rather than what you say. And I think that's such a good quote in the fact of if I'm the best person that I can be, if I'm happy, if I'm out there doing what I love, that's going to rub off on, on hopefully my children rather than me being at home unhappy, you know, dictating to them on how they should live their life. So I, I love that, the oxygen mask and that analogy. And do you know what's also really lovely from what you've just described for me as well is this, the parallels. So like we're talking from a very deeply human point of view. You know, you could be talking about, God forbid, leader of the United States, you'd be talking about business leaders, you know, societal leaders, your parents, your mum, you know, mm. this goes across everything, doesn't it? We're just talking about you know, being okay with who you are. Yeah. It's, it's, it's human behavior. Like you say, it's not, but the thing is as well with human behavior, it's always the simplest things that we neglect. Like, mm. um, you know, like the power of now and have you read the Eckhart Tolle power of now and this whole, you know, being present and, it's so simple, but it's also the hardest thing to do. You know, it's because we're just not all of the principles of like, you know, human behavior is are so simple, but they're also very, very difficult to do. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I love it. So some of the, one of the, one of my big passions, we, we spoke again before we came on, um, that I'm not someone that's religious, you know, I'm agnostic, but I'm definitely spirit. There is something going on for me right now, the last six months. And I think just consciousness wise, just like by actually stepping in, being more courageous, by having conversations with people like yourself, Paul, other people, and just going, actually, you know, I don't understand what it's like to, to walk in your shoes as someone yeah. that's dealt with suicide or as someone that's from, a, you know, who's black from a different background or got disability. And I think the more we can lean in and actually understand how other people walk, I think that for me is the nugget. And that's what I'm really hoping yeah. that people get out of this summit, to be honest. Yeah. And I think like it, it, that comes down to, like you say, compassion and, and empathy. And a lot of people don't have that. And um, I always say if people had more compassion and like you said, you, 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 you're talking to me and you can actually relate to me and you can understand it. That's something that not a lot of people can do. And, you know, compassion is such a powerful trait. And if, I think if we were taught compassion at school, mm. you know, everything would, would, would be different. And I think, you know, the mental health crisis that we have on our hands here in the UK and the US all over is, is simply due to a lot of it. You know, people can't compassionately put themselves in that situation. You know, I have stories all the time, even with my dad, you know, it was a very hard to get him help because they looked at him like he was fine. There's no reason for him to be depressed. So there's no compassion there that says I can actually relate to how you're feeling. You know, my dad needed someone there to compassionately relate to him. None of us could because we didn't understand it. And you, you, re you rely on the trained medical professionals to be able to understand it, but they couldn't either. And um, there was an amazing quote, a, a tweet that went out where someone went to the doctors and they said, um, I'm struggling with depression. And normally the GP would be very cold. They'd be, you know, oh, here's a prescription. Mm. and the doctor just put their hands on the shoulder of, of the patient and said, I know exactly how you feel. And that patient said like that just completely transformed everything. Just the compassion that was shown by the doctor to understand it actually helped massively in just that moment. Um, but yeah. it's, it's amazing though, isn't it? Because, you know, we're talking about courage here, Paul, but it's almost like the biggest things we can do right now to be courageous 
is to be ourselves and to lean yeah. into other people and go first and not wait for them to come to you. Exactly. And coming from a male point of view, like you say, a lot of, you know, a lot of men think that, you know, vulnerability is, is a weakness, but that whole, that whole perception needs to be changed. It's the, it's, it's strength, you know, if it's, <clears throat> I, I did a talk um, at the end of last year and there was sort of 300 people there and they were all from sort of London and a lot of them were like, you know, skinheads with tattoos and bouncers and, um, you know, a lot of, I, I stood on stage and I shared my story completely vulnerable and, um, you know, the perception of me standing on stage at the beginning would have been very different to them when I come off the stage. And, um, you know, at the end of it, those guys were coming up to me crying their eyes out. Like, I've never cried. They're like, I've never cried in sort of 20 years, but your story touched me. And then they start opening up. And they're, you know, they're saying is, God, you've got some balls on you. That's what a couple of them said. And it's like, <laughs> I look at them and I see them from a perspective now. I'm like, wow, you, you've, you're a big guy. Like, you're obviously very tough. And them turning around to me and saying that actually your vulnerability is, is actually very tough. It's like, like you say, it's changing the perspective of, of vulnerability. It's actually a very courageous thing to do. Honestly, I'm actually buzzing as you describe that. I guess, you know, Brene Brown's work as well, I guess, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of it. And it's like the thing that helped me and I'll touch on this is again, it comes down to self-awareness, like understanding what works for you. Like I, um, after dad's death, I kind of buried it, you know, just distracted myself, didn't want to talk about it. And then it was, I need help. So I went to the doctors and the doctors was, you know, obviously, you know, I think you're suffering from depression, take antidepressants. I run a mile because I didn't want to, you know, go the same route that my dad did. Um, but he was very nice. He, he went out and said, there's an eight week waiting list for, for counseling, but I'm going to make sure you get seen next week. And I got saw, I got seen by the counselor next week on the GP. I think I saw her maybe three times. But it just didn't work for me. And then a psychiatrist didn't work for me. Um, and it was sort of two years after my dad's death. I was, um, the lady who helped me was, she's very spiritual. She's a holistic therapist. And um, the way she was described to me by my now wife was she's very weird. She knows more about you than you know about yourself. She's a witch. That was how she was described. <laughs> and at, um, at 21, I was drawn to this witch who knew more about me than I knew about myself. Um, and she was just my, she, she saved, she saved, you know, she was just, I can't put into words how much she helped me. It was, it was scary how much she helped me. And yeah, she took me down a spiritual path, which again, I would never have looked at at 21 sort of reading books, like conversations with God when you've got no religious background. And, you know, like you say, you know, Neil Donald Walsh, Wayne Dyer, all of these kind of spiritualists, I was very drawn to it. And that helped me massively at the time. That's great. And I, I think just to you know, re- reconfirm your message, Paul, I think it's really important. It's, you know, we're not, there's not a silver bullet for this stuff. You know, if you're going to be courageous, we need to find our own way. But I think yeah. at some point we need to take some accountability as well because there's no point. What I found my journey the last two years has been there's just no point playing small for the rest of your life because you're going to look back, when you, you're going to look on your tombstone and go, I wish I did this. I wish I did that. And there's a great book I'm about to read called um, The Five Regrets of the Dying. I don't know if you've heard of that at all. No, but I like the sound of it already. It's meant to be amazing. A lady did research. I think she was a social worker. I've got it in my, my, book, my bookcase. You know, research of loads of people that were literally on their deathbed. About, and the, the most common themes that came back were things such as, I wish I did this, or I wish I did that, or I wish I did this, that, and the other. We can all do that, but we've just got to have the courage to step into yeah, that. 
And as well, like people, one of them, I, there was an article similar to that where one of them was like, I wish I traveled more. Like every person said, I wish I went to more places. And then the normal thing is, but I can't do that. I haven't got the money to do that. And, you know, that's just an excuse because yes, you can, if you strip your lifestyle back, you know, I, I'm not saying sell everything and go traveling because that's not the reality, but you know, there are ways of doing it. Um, that sounds like a really interesting book. And, and just quickly touching on that, like my granddad, um, you know, he's, he's an amazing guy. And my dad was an only child. So, um, my granddad lost my dad in the March and then my nan died in the April. So, um, my nan, bless her, she got diagnosed with cancer sort of just about two years before my dad died and got told she had six months to live and she just battled and battled and battled and battled. And then through my dad's sort of breakdown, she just got worse. And, you know, the day he died, that was it. You could just, again, it comes down to a lot of it, you know, even though she was suffering with a physical illness, you could tell a lot of it was in her mind because as soon as, you know, she lost her only son, that was it. She was, she was done and she just progressively got worse and she died um, just over a month after my dad. And my granddad, like, you know, he's 93 now, so he's been through war. He lost his son, his wife, like no tears, no emotion. Um, he's now sort of 93. Me and my brother, are oh, he's um, next to kin and obviously my brother's accident. Um, I've spent a lot of time with him as my granddad's progressively got worse. And I love spending time with my granddad because, you know, he's 93. Granddad, what do you regret? Like, what do you wish you did more of? And he always says, I wish I traveled more. I wish I saw more places. Um, other things as well. Like I said to you, my granddad was the tightest man that you've ever met. Like, <laughs> he's not tight now. He'll give you money. Like you walk in there, he'll give you, you know, take it, take it, you know, go buy the kids, whatever they want. And again, that shows that now he's losing, he can't leave the house, he's got carers. You know, he's now not consumed by money, whereas he was before. Um, so yeah, that sounds like an amazing book. And someone said to me once, make your life all about minimizing the regrets that you have at the end of your life. And I think that's such a, like minimizing them. You're going to have regrets, but try and minimize the that's amount that you have. That is so awesome. Yeah, I've not, I'm not, I've not heard that before. <laughs> that, is, that is very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, look, I'm conscious of time. My God, I could talk to you. I could talk to you all day, Paul. It's absolutely awesome. I really appreciate your openness. Thank you. And yours as well. I think your story is, like I say at the beginning, it's, it's a powerful story that I think a lot of, a lot of men in particular and women can relate to. So how, how can people reach out to you if they want to sort of follow up the conversation or they want to just get in contact with you, Paul, what's the best ways to reach you? Social media is is like, I'm, I'm trying to be everywhere on social media. So, um, you know, LinkedIn, Paul McGregor, or Instagram, which is pmcgregor.com, um, Facebook. Email, if you want to email, is paul at pmcgregor.com. But that's the last one, because that's sort of pretty 1990s, that one, isn't it, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> if you want to write me a letter, <laughs> feel free. Um, but yeah, no, on social media, I should be quite easily found if you just search for Paul McGregor. Um, but yeah, no, like I say, it's it's... I always love sharing the story, however many times I have to share it. So, and, and I always think if I do this or if I do a talk or if I do you know, a podcast, if there's one person that it might help, then that's you know, going to make it worth it. So, Wonderful. Well, I totally, totally share that, that approach and that vision, Paul. So thanks so much for your time. You've been a joy. Thanks very much. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Bye-bye.